I want to start today's episode by talking about martinis. Eight martinis, to be specific. For any teetotalers out there listening that need context, eight martinis is a lot of alcohol, enough to basically get anyone pretty trashed. But for a time, if you worked in the intelligence community, you might have been familiar with the term eight martini results. It's a phrase coined by a man named Ingo Swan. For a time, Swan was deeply involved in experiments at the Stanford Research Institute and is credited as one of the early figures behind something known as Project Stargate. It was a military program that stretched out for decades and sought to understand the concept of remote viewing. That is, being able to be physically in one place, but being able to observe things a very long distance off, using only your mind. The results of the experiments that Swan was involved in were so confounding that when intelligence agents, these are some of the most sober-minded and skeptical people on the planet, when they would see the results of them, they'd be so shaken to the core that they needed something very strong to calm their nerves, like Swan's suggestion of eight martinis. As Swan once explained, quote, this is an intelligence community in-house term for remote viewing data so good that it cracks everyone's realities, so they have to go out and drink eight martinis to recover, end quote. Because here's the thing, even though the Project Stargate experiments were largely considered inconclusive, there was a time when the implications of their results were seen as potentially reality-altering. Because Swan didn't just demonstrate the ability to accurately describe pictures drawn on pieces of paper in other rooms like Yuri Geller, Swan and his colleagues were able to see things that, to this day, when you hear about, you might even feel compelled to pour yourself a stiff drink. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm a writer, I'm a journalist, and a podcaster, and this is Hiding Something, Season 2, Ultra. Chapter 7, 8 Martini Results Before we get into exactly what Ingo Swan and fellow so-called psychic spies saw, it's important to note a few things about Project Stargate. Primarily, that since the program was officially, and I say that with some very animated air quotes, abandoned in the 1990s, some information about its results have been declassified. In fact, in 2004, journalist and podcaster John Ronson used the project as inspiration for his nonfiction book, The Men Who Stare at Ghosts, which was loosely adapted into a film starring Ewan McGregor and George Clooney. My name is Bob Wilton. I'm a journalist. I've been investigating a story about a classified government program. So what you're saying is that you were a, a psychic spy, a Jedi warrior. I'd heard that the U.S. government was training psychic soldiers, and that Lynn Cassidy was the best of the best. I've been reactivated. I'm on a mission. I could come. Lynn's story was unbelievable, crazy, and completely true. As you can probably tell from the tone of the clip, it's a relatively lighthearted movie. And, like Ronson's book, doesn't get too deep into some of the program's more startling results. Because, as the title alludes, what officials were actually attempting could get pretty dark. The goats it refers to were housed at Fort Bragg and were used as a subject of experiments to see if soldiers could be trained to stop the animals beating hearts with only the power of their mind. That ability to affect physical reality with psychological feats is known as psychokinesis and became a major concern of intelligence officials during the Cold War after videos from Russia showed a housewife named Nino Kulagina performing some very odd feats. 
Under the supervision of Russian scientists, she was able to make objects move without touching them. Another video appeared to show her stopping the heart of a frog just by looking at it. American officials, already concerned by the Soviets' growing interest in psychokinesis, began their own research. Though the project would take on a variety of names over the years, Stargate was primarily concerned with turning the mind into a weapon. Whereas MKUltra's goal was to turn their enemies' own minds against them through experiments with brainwashing and psychedelic drugs, Stargate wanted to learn the potential of our own spies' abilities. Throughout the 1970s, thanks to help from the Stanford Research Institute, intelligence officials were able to conduct countless experiments to try to unlock these strange abilities. But in 1979, they'd finally get the chance to truly see what their psychic spies could do. The special report that we planned to bring you tonight was about domestic politics, the battle among the Democrats. But we think the crisis in Iran is more urgent right now than the campaign here at home. Some 60 Americans, including our fellow citizen whom you just saw bound and blindfolded, are now beginning their sixth day of captivity inside the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. It's Friday morning there now. But throughout this night in Washington, officials will continue their search for some way to negotiate the hostages' freedom. That search was not successful today. That's a clip from ABC News in 1979, days after Iranian students seeking revolution kidnapped 52 Americans in the city of Tehran. Under the name Project Grill Flame, the military formally activated psychic spies to put their strange abilities to the test. The Grill Flame recruits worked out of Fort Meade, Maryland, and their job was to use their minds to locate the hostages through remote viewing so a rescue team could go in and save them. 30 years later, in 2017, the CIA finally declassified files associated with Project Grill Flame. However, what they released, honestly, leaves more questions than answers. Here's what we know. The Joint Chiefs of Staffs consulted with the spies before launching an ultra-secret rescue mission, one that ultimately failed after one of the helicopters involved in the operation crashed not long after launching. But even that detail is curious. The most powerful figures in the entire military apparatus revealed the details of an intensely sensitive secret mission to a group of six psychic spies before undergoing it. Think about how crazy that sounds. The military led a group of psychics in on the details of a secret mission to get their advice and insights. There's also some strangeness about the 2007 disclosure itself. Officials were later very dismissive of the psychics' role in the rescue operations, saying that most of their insights were deeply flawed. In 2017, Joseph McMoneagle, a former army officer who actually worked with Project Grill Flame and the Stanford Research Institute, was enraged at what the CIA eventually disclosed. He told this to the Miami Herald. The stuff that the CIA has declassified is garbage. They haven't even declassified any of the stuff that worked. Edwin May, who oversaw parapsychology research for the government for two decades, told the Herald this. We'll have an actor read the actual quote. The psychics were able to tell in some cases where the hostages were moved to. They were able to see the degree of their health. If you can sit in Fort Meade and describe the health of the hostages who are going to be released so that the right doctors can be on hand, that's very helpful. Years later, it's unclear what, if any, impact the Stargate spies had on the operation. But that might just be intentional. That's because decades before, the CIA had begun developing a different kind of intelligence asset, one that could help them blur the line between reality and, well, magic. Because the only thing more powerful than actual psychic abilities is having an enemy who is uncertain if you're actually capable of them. David has special insight on this next individual, um, John Mulholland, 
and he's going to say a few words to you about John Mulholland. That's the voice of former acting director of the CIA and legendary spymaster John McLaughlin introducing stage magician David Copperfield in a presentation created by the U.S. Naval Institute called, quote, Magic, War, and Intelligence, A Few Personalities, Tricks, and Ideas. Honestly, it's kind of an odd presentation. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube. In it, CIA officials, along with David Copperfield, the Las Vegas magician, candidly discuss the agency's history of recruiting a different kind of operative, stage magicians, particularly one named John Mulholland. John Mulholland was a, uh, an author, an inventor. Uh, he had the Sphinx magazine for magicians, and he was Houdini's friend. As Copperfield explains, in the 1950s, Muhalan was one of the world's greatest magicians. He was a world-famous figure who was personally mentored by Harry Houdini himself. But oddly, in 1953, Muhalan suddenly stepped away from his popular magic magazine Sphinx, supposedly because of health problems. However, that itself was likely a deception. The reason Muhalan was stepping away was because actually, he was being recruited by the CIA. Here's David Copperfield and John McLaughlin once again. Mulholland designed um, uh, illusions, uh, performed illusions, uh, did a lot of things for magicians, but mostly uh, to this subject, he did something with a little organization called the CIA. And uh, John, you should explain what happened. Yes, Mulholland uh, turns out at the height of the Cold War in the mid 1950s was a consultant to the CIA. Now, how did that happen? Well, you have to go back to the Cold War itself. Uh, the American military and the CIA were experimenting with all sorts of things, searching expertise of all kinds for ideas on how to combat uh, the then uh, surging Soviet Union. And they turned to Mulholland as a magician to help them think through some techniques that would be useful in clandestine operations. Mulholland was recruited to teach the CIA the tricks magicians use to make it seem like they were actually able to do the seemingly impossible. He even wrote a small book called The Official CIA Manual of Trickery and Deception, which is now declassified. The book isn't overly concerned with mentalism, that is, the type of magic that makes it seem like the performer is reading people's minds. It focuses on a lot of specific sleight-of-hand tricks and James Bond-style devices used by both magicians and spies. I'm not going to lie, the book sounds way more interesting than it actually is. There's lots of mechanics to actual magic tricks and some honestly just really absurd scenarios in there, but it does illustrate a deeper point. Spycraft and quote-unquote magic have long been closely linked. There's a fantastic podcast called Smoke and Mirrors, which details some of the intersections of intelligence and the world of magicians if you're interested in the topic, because the connection goes way deeper than you might expect. Because, like magic, a successful spy operation can be broken down into three parts. If you've seen Christopher Nolan's film The Prestige, then this will sound pretty familiar. The first part is called The Pledge. It's when the targets of the deception are shown or told something seemingly ordinary, say, a normal-looking person staring at a live animal. Next is The Turn. It's when, as Michael Caine's character in the film explains, the magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Let's say that animal being stared at just drop dead. However, next is the hardest part. It's called the prestige. It's the third act of the magic trick where things get even more astounding. It's stage magic. It's where you would bring the animal back to life. In spycraft, however, 
It's where you use the wonder of the magic trick to get your enemies to do what you want them to do, like forcing them to spend time and money trying to develop defenses for this kind of wizardry when you're actually just distracting them from actual threats. Now, I'm not saying the video of the Russian woman killing the frog and moving objects with her mind are definitely fake, but look, they certainly could have been. But either way, those videos are partly responsible for the US launching Project Stargate in the first place. But was Stargate its own sort of large-scale magic trick meant to deceive people and distract from actual CIA tactics? After all, the agency now openly discusses its affinity for a good magic show. The possibility that the whole endeavor was an elaborate ruse by military and intelligence officials, it just can't be ruled out. With that context in mind, I want to return to Ingo Swan. For decades, he worked with officials at the Stanford Research Institute and was involved with remote viewing operations and even assisted in several high-profile criminal investigations with his unique abilities to allegedly find people and things in far-off places just by concentrating. He also conducted what's known as coordinate remote viewing experiments and would later teach others the skill. In the experiments, he was given longitude and latitude coordinates and was then asked to describe geographic formations and landmarks that could be found at them. At the time, experts at Stanford Research International claimed Swan was astoundingly accurate in these types of experiments. Apparently, he could also train others to be almost as accurate. His colleagues later said, quote, something was happening, but they're not clear what it is, end quote. But perhaps his most famous remote viewing experiments was when he attempted to observe and describe the features of the planet Jupiter. It took him a few minutes, but when he said he was able to bring Jupiter into the focus of his mind's eye, he noticed that there appeared to be bands of crystals in the planet's atmosphere. More than two decades after the experiment, NASA's Galileo spacecraft found clouds of ammonium ice crystals in the atmosphere of Jupiter, just like Swan had predicted. But that was information that there was no way Swan could have known at the time of his remote viewing experiment. Swan's feats were impressive and were perhaps only matched by a remote viewer named Pat Price, a former police commissioner. In one experiment, Price was able to tell officials the secret code names of three different operations by allegedly remotely viewing them typed on a piece of paper inside a folder within a file cabinet. In another experiment, Price was given map coordinates. In reality, those conducting the test knew that at those coordinates stood a log cabin in a remote part of West Virginia. When Price told officials what he remotely viewed at the location, at first, they were disappointed. Price claimed that the location was the site of a massive underground military bunker. He didn't say anything about a log cabin. What the officials didn't know, though, was that less than 100 yards away from that cabin was the NSA's ultra-top-secret Sugar Grove facility. At the time, the facility was so secretive that only NSA officials involved with operating it even knew it existed. The owner of the cabin was even in the dark about it. The event caused a stir in the security and intelligence communities. It's not surprising, then, that Price quickly became a figure of great interest to law enforcement and intelligence officials, and his growing stature in the community led to an intense rivalry with Ingo Swan. He was even brought in to help identify what was going on inside Soviet military facilities, again, with surprising accuracy. During one of these sessions, he was remotely viewing a Soviet nuclear weapons test site in northeast Kazakhstan and was asked to draw some of the equipment that he would see in his mind's eye. At the time, the site was known by U.S. intelligence officials as Unidentified Research and Development Facility 3, or URDF-3. A nuclear analyst from the Los Alamos Scientific Laboratory would later document the results of the URDF-3 remote viewing sessions based on actual sketches and recordings. That report was titled, An Analysis of a Remote Viewing Experiments at URFD-3, which you can actually now read online. 
During these remote viewing sessions, in which he attempted to explore the Soviet facility through remote viewing, Price reported seeing a massive crane-like structure and produced a sketch of what it looked like. This sketch and the images of the actual cranes being used by the Soviets at the facility are now declassified and are aligned. You should definitely check them out because, I mean, they look almost identical, down to the number of wheels they have. The author of the report wrote this, Price didn't realize how large the gantry train was until he saw a man walking by one of the crane wheels. It seems inconceivable to imagine how he could draw such a likeness to the actual crane at URFD3 unless, one, he actually saw it through remote viewing, or two, he was informed of what to draw by someone knowledgeable of URDF3. Price then saw people attempting to weld together massive spears out of sheets of metal. He also described the extremely unorthodox welding method that the engineers were attempting. The revelations baffled intelligence officials who had no idea what the metal spheres that Price remotely viewed being built in Kazakhstan could actually be used for. It would be three years later when the Soviets would reveal that they were attempting to create metal spheres to hold liquid hydrogen, a chemical used to fuel rockets. The official observing the experiment would later write that Price was able to quote, produce some amazing descriptions, like buildings then under constructions, spherical tank sections, and the crane, end quote. The book Remote Viewers, The Secret History of America's Psychic Spies explains, quote, Pat Price had been right, and he had described the spheres and the special welding techniques before anyone in the United States even knew they existed, end quote. Now look, Price, he did have a lot of misses, but there aren't easy answers for how he was able to produce the data that he did by only remote viewing. Unfortunately, we may never really know how Pat Price was able to produce that knowledge. Like Serge Manass, the investigative journalist we discussed early in the season, not long after the remote viewing sessions of the Soviet facility, Price would be dead under very suspicious circumstances. Here's what we know happened. After his impressive remote viewing feats, Price had been formally hired by the CIA and was traveling, reportedly carrying with him some very sensitive documents regarding his work with Project Stargate. Some of the details are difficult to verify, but after meeting up with a friend in Las Vegas, he checked into a hotel. Not long after, he had a fatal heart attack. That's when things started to get strange. Dr. Kit Green, the former life sciences director at the CIA, explains what happens next in the documentary film Third Eye Spies. According to Dr. Green, when Price's body arrived at the hospital in Las Vegas, another well-dressed man carrying a briefcase also arrived. He carried with him what he claimed were Price's recent EKGs, which indicated that he had a history of heart problems. The doctors were essentially convinced by the medical records brought by the man in the suit that nothing suspicious had caused Price's death. But they went on to make a very controversial decision. Even though Price died alone in a hotel room, the police and hospital officials made the decision not to have the medical examiner perform an autopsy at the behest of the man in the suit. And here's another really odd fact. Before even calling Price's wife to notify her of her husband's death, hospital officials cremated Pat Price's body. So what really happened to Pat Price? Was it a murder by the CIA? Was it revenge from the KGB for remotely spying on one of their nuclear facilities? Or did Pat Price, possibly the United States' greatest psychic spy, never actually die in that hotel room in Las Vegas? What's really going on? Who might be hiding something? Where's this all leading? Well, that's next time on the season finale of Hiding Something. Hiding Something is an ironclad original. All episodes are hosted and written by me, Jesse Carey. Our post-production producer is Chandler Strang. If you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.